Hi everyone! Welcome to another episode of Stush and Bush, a Caribbean podcast on Caribbean happenings, overall mix-up and blend blend with, with a, a queer, queer twist. twist. Oh, again, twice in a row, I'm so proud of you. Twice in a row, but you know what? We did have to fight a lot to get there, but it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. Really did. It's fine. Yeah. Um, we're going to do like a whole section where we just like show people the blurb. The Honestly, blurb, the we should do that because there be are a lot of them. <laughs> Stush and bushes for the person looking for more content to write their new thesis for their PhD program. That's right. This episode we are giving you content, and all we ask is that you use the proper citations. Wow, I'm almost impressed that you have not said a random thing. I mean, around you know, just like your usual slackness. But... <laughs> I mean, honestly, like PhDs, first of all, Ds. Are quite slack, are just filled with slackness anyway. Like I just genuinely feel like people like you who studied gender and sexuality in college just did it for a reason to talk about sex all the time. Wow. Period. I studied gender and sexuality in university. Thank you very much. Uh, Not college. <laughs> okay, watch yourself. But you know what? This is still a conspiracy theory, and I'm not entirely like disagreeing with you, but primarily because like slackness is a prime topic that's just gonna come up in this episode. So I'm gonna leave that where it is. Ugh, slackness. We love some slackness. Do we? Homophobic slackness. Homophobic slackness. <laughs> oh, shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, you know, okay. You, I, mm, I'm not even gonna pick that up right now, but I will pick it up later. Let's move into something for Nam. Ooh. You, you still put it up there? Out here. Yeah, something for Nam starts at the beginning now. <laughs> Remember? <laughs> Thanks. So, let's set the stage here. Ooh. Right. Not picture it, but we're setting the stage. Right. We're, we're, we're offering difference. some grounding context and some frameworks for how we want to engage for today. Sort of like a little do now on the board, but mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, Prime yourselves for what the hell you're going to be experiencing today. <laughs> Kudos to you if you kept up with us last episode. <laughs> we're trying to do better, y'all. No, we're not. We're, that we're was not. fucking great. Mm -mm. Fuck that. Fuck y'all better. Ooh, wow. Okay. <laughs> today, we're getting into some of the documented lived experiences of queer and trans Caribbeans in Haiti, Jamaica, and Puerto Rico. We always acknowledge the surface-level ways in which Caribbeans both in and outside of the diaspora are connected through the undertones in our music, the seasoning in our food, the dance, and the culture, and all that bullshit that the cultural anthropologists will tell you makes up the social aspects of Caribbean life. Uh. And it got me thinking about how we are connected through language as well. And in the documentaries that we watched this week, one of the queer Haitian folks gets called Masisi, which, which translates to gay. Um, and <laughs> even without the translation, I could feel Masisi being targeted at me. So I'm asking myself, um, and I'm asking all of you, really, to ponder the connection of what we share in language and how we share that language. Tell me how it's possible for a gay, such a as myself, gay. from Trinidad and Jamaica 
to hear the word Masisi, to hear Batiman and Mariposa and Chichiman and all those things and still feel that same wave of fear, of anger, of trauma-tested resilience, because that's where it really comes from, trauma. Mm -hmm. uh, whatever it is you feel when you get called out of your name in your language, mm -hmm. right? I want us to think about the connection between oppressive terminologies and how regardless of that language or translation barrier, it still lands on us the same way it would if we were being called a chichi. Wow. I'm very excited. I mean, clearly we just did not explore enough of terminologies last time mm. to be going into clearly. the homophobic terminologies this time. Um, but I, I, I agree with you. I think it's really interesting how um, we there's like this sense of connection that we feel through the music, the food, and yada, yada, yada. And then all of a sudden, when I hear a derogatory term in um, another Caribbean language or another Caribbean context, it's like I still, I still have that like feeling of like trauma and mm -hmm. offense. So what, what a time this is going to be. <sighs> but you know what? It's fine. It's not fine. It's going to be great. <laughs> because let's really talk about how you just feel targeted and attacked all the time. Yes. But, like, I think the documentaries that we're going to be, like, looking at today get at some of those things. Um, and I think that they begin to answer a lot of the questions that I sort of, like, ask in the something for NMPs. But... If it's not answering the question, it definitely is shedding some light on the things that we brought up here. Um, and as we look at these three films on unqueer and trans people in Haiti, Jamaica, and Puerto Rico, Kadeem, tell us, what what did we look at? You know, Harry, What did you look at? Uh, me, alright. Because uh, so I didn't do my we homework. Looked at, we looked at three, three films, first of all. We... Three we. documentaries. We. Three. The one time I will allow for collective pronoun use. <laughs> <laughs> Off Men and Gods, um, which is a 2002 uh, documentary that looks at um, the lives of several queer and trans folks in Haiti. Um, it's a relatively old film. I mean, it was 17 years ago. And I think it was directed by uh, Anne Lejo. Anne Lejo. And... Uh, Produced by Lawrence McClure. I'm just going to let you hold I, on to that. I, I so apologize for butchering people's last names. It's definitely Lescott, but. <laughs> I understand that the French basically drop every other word. Like, I get it, but it's just Lescott. You really just exposed me, didn't I you? Leho? No, girl, no. I don't, I don't know what I was doing. It's fine. Mm. I apologize. It's great. Um, but yeah, I mean, yes, and Les Lescott, um, uh, was, it was written by and directed by uh, that person. Um, and then the second uh, documentary we look at is one entitled Mala Mala. Mm -hmm. uh, that one was published in 2014, and it's a documentary directed by Antonio Santini and Dan Sickless. Um, and it, it stars a variety of like people that we know now, like April Carrion, who was on RuPaul's Drag Race. Um, and it essentially follows the life of, um, again, queer and trans folks in um, the in, in Puerto Rico. And it sort of like gives a political 
uh, aspects of like, okay, Puerto Rico is passing a law and they sort of followed the journey of both those folks in their advocacy and in their identities, uh, of all those folks in their advocacy and in their identities uh, leading up to the passing of non-discrimination laws uh, in, in Puerto Rico. You also forgot the most important person of the entire documentary and their name is Pax. Pax is a chef in Puerto Rico. Good up, good up, good up, and let me tell you, good girl, Pax, Pax is out here with these foods. The first time that I ever had like a vegan dish in, in my whole life and was like, oh wow, I'm full. You mean it's not just dirt sprinkled over a tree bark? And then, <sighs> yeah, I said it because you know what? Caribbeans eat pork. Wait, you, you, I find it very interesting how you use Caribbeans as a noun. Yeah, as opposed to. As an adjective. Like yeah. Caribbean people, Caribbean folks. I never did well in grammar. <laughs> but no, I'm not saying it's... <laughs> I don't know if it's wrong, per se. I, oh, I no, I know I'm not wrong. I, like, I, I don't want to be called a Caribbean. Oh, you don't? No. You don't want to be called an Arawak either? Or a Carib? I don't think so. You don't think so? You want to be I want to be called a Black. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the third film, the third documentary follows the life of um, what is commonly referred to as quote unquote gully queens. Mm. And gully queens refers to um, queer and trans youth, queer and trans youth of uh, low income queer and trans youth experiencing uh, homelessness and houselessness um, by by way of uh, family rejection. Um, oppression all these different things and live in the actual sewers in in jamaica um the sewers the sewers the gullies the gullies i was about to be so fucking flippant but i'm i'm reserving that <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like you're gonna be okay but uh, I, this, hope, I, I, I hope so because <laughs> and this documentary was there have been a few documentaries that follow the lives of uh, gully queens in Jamaica. And this one that we focus on is Vice. Um, yeah. The Vice 1 and 2. However, like, to be honest, the other ones are legit document in the same way and the same style. But we're going to have a conversation about how I feel about white folks documenting us. Um, and I... Not us. Um, but the I mean, queer and trans community overall. Anyway... Sauce. I mean, Paris is burning. Also, <laughs> is a thing, and like I think we can definitely situate, like the approaching black QT Park do- like life documentary by white folks is definitely a conversation that can be had because even as we're sort of like in the space now where uh, some unreleased footage from Paris is burning is getting ready to be released, I think it's important for us to have mm-hmm. another conversation on what it looks like for some of these documentaries to be made uh, with keeping like keeping in mind that there are white folks who are doing like this documentary work and like what that says for it. But nonetheless, these were all really great and we could so totally sit here talking about <laughs> all of the overlapping themes that emerge in all of them, but that could take a whole day and we only have two hours of studio time. So let's get started. <coughs> and by two hours, I mean like five minutes. So we're just going to upload the entire note section to <laughs> The comment piece in yeah. the upload because yeah. do all this work yourself. We're just here to like give you like the themes and that's it and the direction. That's it. J- just a little bit. <laughs> um, but one that comes up 
is queer navigation and movement. Mm-hmm. And this is a thing that, I mean, I'm personally committed to because I am, like, really beginning to sort of, like, flirt with the the connection between uh, Black and ethnic studies, queer studies, and geography studies. Because mm-hmm. a bitch used to be out here thinking, oh, the fuck I care about, you know, the hills, valleys, and plains, and the streams that divide them. Like, I don't, you know? Mm-hmm. But... I think there's something that geography studies has to offer us, especially when we queer it. Because like, if you like think about like queer time and queer movement, it's different. Um, but in thinking about navigation and movement, uh, I want to also focus on being invisible and hypervisible. Mm-hmm. Um, and for the first time, we're not putting Jamaica first. Excuse me. Yeah. Um. No. I protest. You can protest all I you protest. want, but it's okay. <laughs> but, Picture it. Wait, <laughs> but just just so y'all know, y'all don't. Even though you should be watching all these three documentaries that we mentioned, you don't have to have watched this to understand this episode because you're gonna get it. But also, take a job on yourself to go and watch those three documentaries. Yeah, because I think they're great. They're in great. a way. Um, I, they're informative. Informative, but I was getting ready. To picture it. <gasps> Thank you. Okay, picture it. Picture it. Thank I you. say picture it. Go ahead. Thank you. Love you. Picture it. Blondie. In the market space seems as if they are a fluid being. As if they're not there. But at the same time, all of the attention is drawn to them. This is pulled from of men and of gods, right? And we're situated in Haiti in a marketplace and you see this person, a very sort of like bright floral colors walking through the marketplace and could it have been the cinematography of it all or <laughs> or could it have just been how life looks at this moment? But, you know, they're sort of just like moving through the marketplace and are t- like twisting and contorting their body to walk through the people who are, you know, sort of like walking um, past them or towards them. And it's like, Blondie's not there. Mm-hmm. But then at the same time, as Blondie just like doesn't seem to be there because no one wants to make space for them to be able to, you know, just like walk through the marketplace. And, and imagine Times Square, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Imagine Grand Central Terminal, but packed. I mean, people are just trying to walk like, You're trying to maneuver that crowd. Blondie's trying to maneuver in the marketplace. And they're not being seen but then are also being called and taunted with the word Masisi, mm. right? And in this moment, it just, like, really struck me at how you're not given space, like, physical space to move as if people don't even see or acknowledge your presence, but at the same time, you're so hyper-visible that the taunts of being called Masisi, of being called gay, are just, like, there, and they're present, mm-hmm. right? And, like, that, that for me, I mean, being visible and, well, being hyper-visible and being invisible for me is stemmed in, in slavery, but then also sort of, like, the oppression that I see of Blondie in the market space for me just really highlights how fucked up people got me <laughs> because come the fuck on. Right. You see me. 
Yeah. You see me and you don't want to acknowledge me. And the only way you know to acknowledge me is by degrading me. Right. And I find that to be an issue. I think that's interesting because, like, when we, when, when you, the, the second you mentioned invisibility, I was more so thinking from, like, a structural perspective, like, less so about, like, individuals deliberately ignoring you and deliberately not seeing you, um, and more so on, like, the state just not acknowledging your very existence or mm. essential, essentially a refusal of acknowledging your existence. So I think it's really interesting how, like, for me, invisibility, it immediately links to the quote-unquote system with a CIS. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the system... Um, Rather than the the individual aspect of, of, of all of that. But now that you've explained that, it brings up a story. Mm-hmm. And we love a good story. I don't know how good this is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> oh my kid, it's going to be fantastic. Anyway, but well, I was on the train uh, here uh, a few weeks ago, actually. Like, you know me, I was going to the club. Or coming from the club, one of them. I don't know. Um, it's a blur. Um, and there was like a, a man, a construction, he, he seemed as if he looked like a construction worker and he was talking to another person. They were both Jamaicans. And, um, you know, I came on the platform, they're talking to each other and then they, they, I don't know what happened, but the talking ceased and, uh, we were walk. I, I was coming in and then the next stop, somebody else came in, somebody who's, um, Evidently, like wearing makeup, heels, uh, um, face beat. Uh, it was just really amazing, right? This person, and I don't know who this person is until I realized that I followed them on Instagram. I but was I was, screaming. I was too nervous to say hi. But anyway, it's fine. Um, but this, this, this person being very hyper visible in your se- in the sense of that, the Jamaican man with his hoodie literally like covers his face so that he wouldn't see the person the the seemingly non-binary non-conforming mm-hmm. because he was tempted oh pum pum tan up that's that's what it was yeah it wasn't the clearly clearly <laughs> my man cover him face like yeah. it was just for me i was like are you are you serious mm-hmm. this is this is it because what like what does that do for you oh how do you like i <sighs> Here's this person disrupting whatever space you think you are in. Yeah. And uh, you don't like that your space was disrupted. And all of a sudden, Yakov up your face. Yakov up your, your, with your hoodie. Like, what, how symbolic is that? And the man just stopped talking the entire time. Like, he didn't sp- speak a word until, like, ever. I mean, I left before he did, but yeah. it was just like such a weird experience so when you say that it's, it's a very interesting thing where like this mass perceiving individual who was wearing the heels and the makeup and all these different things was simultaneously invisible by way by by the malicious effort of this man and then also very hyper visible to have like led this man to have covered his his hoodie yeah a concept a concept. The concept is homophobia, <laughs> and we love it. We um, love a good homophobia. But going back to to Blondie and, and queerness in ID, uh, there is only one way to refer to the gays, right? In Haiti, <laughs> the gays, the gays, the, the whole gays, gays yes, <laughs> the, all the gays, uh, and that word is masisi, right? 
And when you look elsewhere in the Caribbean, for example, in Puerto Rico or in the Dominican Republic, really the Spanish-speaking Caribbean as a, as, as a whole, there are many ways to refer to the gays in a derogatory manner. Not only are there ways to degrade or classify the gays, but there are also categories, and we know the queens love a little category. <laughs> um... And this distinction in in, in uh, <clears throat> the Spanish language for homophobia is predicated on penetrator versus penetrated. Yeah. And I love that this distinction is drawn. The tops, the bottoms. The tops and the bottoms. The activo, the passivo. Yeah. Actif, passif. But you know what's interesting? Oh, you do it in French, too. Uh, um, I know enough to know when I'm being offended. <laughs> um, <laughs> Listen, you gotta know who you are when we're exactly. going to these French spaces um, for the grinder profile. Only for the grinder profile. Nothing else. Um, <laughs> obviously. Because I'm like, what, what does this mean? Google Translate, tell me. Um, <laughs> but these distinctions that are drawn for penetrated versus penetrated, I think is like, really interesting. And... I, I almost want to, like, jump ahead, but, like, I'm going to try to, like, stop myself and just go to, like, what we know we need to talk about. <laughs> so, when you are doing the, the the penetrating, or you're the top in this case, you get to be referred to as the bugarón or el tigre, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. What, I don't remember what Bugaron translates to, but like, let, like, let's call him the top don. <laughs> That's what Jamaicans say, right? But a top don, yeah, you know. But That's that, what the Jamaican uh, hood. I know guys be saying. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's like their code language. Oh, I know. On queerness. Oh, oh, she knows. Oh, I'm well versed. <laughs> um, well versed, but not versed. <laughs> There's a distinction. Um, you literally just told the entire world where you are. I didn't tell them where I was for anything. I just said it wasn't verse. I <laughs> said nothing more. Um, but El Tigre translates to tiger. Um, and these two sort of like classifications of really gay men in the Spanish-speaking Caribbean are sort of like where, you know, like tops get placed. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and there's nothing wrong with being referred to as El Tigre or the Bugarón, right? Like, people will maybe, like, openly refer to you as those two things. Mm-hmm. But that's, like, a place of honor, essentially. Mm. But then on the flip side, right, the person who's being penetrated or the bottom mm-hmm. Is referred to as the pajaro or the mariposa, and like those respectively translate to parrot and butterfly. And I don't know which one I want to be called more a parrot or a butterfly. Definitely a butterfly. You know, I would go with that, but I'm not a dainty bitch. (laughs) So I'm not saying that I'm a pajaro. But I do maybe identify a little bit more with the parrot lifestyle <laughs> than I do with the butterfly lifestyle, because those are pillow queens. Okay. Anyway. Oh, my word. You did not just go there. 
I'm sorry, I didn't mean to say pillow queen, I meant to say pillow princess. My <laughs> apologies. But, when you're looking at the person who's doing the penetrating, it's fine and you get to retain your masculinity while fucking someone in the ass. But, oh, the minute you think about lifting your legs and parting your cheeks, you're no longer a man. Jesus Christ. No, this, no, 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 no. I really didn't realize this is, you this weren't is where ready. you were going. Oh, listen, y'all. I'm not ready for this. I am a Sagittarius moon and sun. And it is Sag season and I am here and I'm, I'm bold. Anyway, oh, this is where okay. we begin hot. to see the imagery around feathers and wings. And like, this is like, I have issue with this. Clearly, I'm angry, <laughs> and I'm angry, and here's why, right? Because it's, it baffles me, and it doesn't baffle me, actually, because I understand where it comes from, but, mm. like, it baffles me <laughs> that <laughs> being a penetrator is still a place of privilege. I mean, like, I think we see this also in, yeah. like, the queer, gay, grinder community. Oh, yeah. In New York, everywhere, actually, where, like, being a top is a place of privilege, and being a bottom means that you can be stepped on. Mm-hmm. And it also means that you can be shaded and judged both by tops and by other bottoms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, like, there is definitely fluidity, et cetera, et cetera, but I'm relying on the binary to make a point. <laughs> What is it about, like, the feathers, and what is it about, like, the wings and the flapping that, like, makes it feel like it's okay for you to sort of, like, degrade the bottom? Mm. I'm not here for it. No bottom shaming. But the Spanish language has distinctions for uh, top and bottom, and the French language also has distinction for top and bottom, actif and passif, active and passive. But somehow, that doesn't make its way into Masisi, right? Mm-hmm. That's just it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Try harder. <laughs> just, be, listen, the Jamaicans are inventive, okay? <laughs> the Jamaicans said, you're a chichi, and oh we did the chichi, you know, etymology a few weeks ago, but, like, to be active or to be passive, like, I... Yeah. I don't get it. I really don't get it. I'm thrown off. But you know what? I'm going to stop ranting. <laughs> and I'm going to move on to the next piece. Because it just feels like I'm coming for everyone now. Yeah, and I Haiti's don't want y'all to think that... yeah, Girl, Haiti been on the list. Um, I don't want y'all to think that the Anglo-Caribbean is off the hook either. Mm-hmm. Because we have many, 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 many ways to refer to the gays. But none of them draw on the distinction between the active or the passive partner. And this makes me think that it's just how the Spanish language functions, which makes me really question why more work wasn't done by the French-speaking oppressors to draw active and passive partner distinctions. Do we want those, though? How much do we want them? How much do we want to distinguish... Um, that binary. I don't know. It feels like it would... Because, it feels like it makes space. Yeah. I mean, my thing on that is, is like, just sort of referring to, like, the two queer Haitians that I have in my... Hey, y'all. <laughs> How y'all doing? I told y'all I was gonna cite y'all one day. Um sort of, like, our conversation and sort of, like, how Masisi is used and Masisi also 
being used with like um Mahome um and Madivin or Madivin I cannot I, I will not attempt to butcher it that much but I should one day um <laughs> but but sort of like how Haitian queer organizations have like referred to that as like the M communities because it's like mm. MMM right um and sort of like and I have my friend who's sort of explained his relationship to the word Masisi in terms of like how yes it's used to just uh, it can be used in a derogatory manner and it can also again be like the sense of like reclamation and all these different things that's my first thing um and with the Anglo Caribbean-ness um that we're not getting not, we're not letting them off the hook for me, I think, like, there isn't... I agree that... Th- <sighs> One, do we need that binary in the derogatory category is the question for me. Because I'm like, do tops and bottoms in... Do the tops in the Franco and the Anglo-Caribbean countries gain that privilege and have that privilege and be able to maintain their masculinity as well? I don't yes. think so. Oh, tell me about that. I think... Well... Are we drawing a distinction between mask presenting tops? Yeah. Because I think I would argue that mask presenting tops in the Anglo and Franco phone Caribbeans are exempt almost from sort of like that oppressive, uh, sort of like derogatory queer terming mm-hmm. because they pass as masculine. Yeah. Right? I think unlike that in the Spanish-speaking Caribbean, you don't necessarily have to pass as masculine either. You just have to be the top. Yeah. And, like, I feel like that's sort of, like, where, like, that that struggle comes in. Because, I mean, I remember when I first started interacting with y'all Spanish-speaking Caribbean lovelies, I was very confused. I'm like, you gay-gay. Are you a bottom? Like, no, girl. She a top. She a strong, powerful top. And I'm just like, oh my god, I'm in confusion. The same thing isn't true of, or at least not, not in my experience, I, I haven't met, like, a femme-presenting top from the Anglo or Francophone Caribbean who has not been subject to sort of, like, the Chichi or the Punga or whatever, man. Yeah. Because of the queerness, I think like it has more to do with presentation on that side of the Caribbean as opposed to sort of like identity mm-hmm. in the Spanish-speaking Caribbean. Yeah. But you brought up a really interesting point about the biblical connection to uh, like mm. that distinction between penetrator and penetrated. Yeah. I, I the the biblical aspect for me is more so how preachers preach um, sort of like their anti-queer rhetoric in uh, Jamaica in particular. So um, when I was growing, when I was growing up, story time, when I was growing up, it, it was always, even though there wasn't like a linguistic um, distinction between like the penetrated and the penetrator, um, there was always that, that sense of uh, when a preacher would be talking <clears throat> To like the congregation, they're saying like, "Oh, you is a man, and you is a man. We are gonna put your something in our man, whatever, buddy." And it was it was like the shaming was on 
the penetrate tore way more than the penetrates head. Mm. Um, and I found that, like, though there's not, like, a linguistic distinction in the anti-queer rhetoric, it's almost as if, like, there is this... Like, like you have committed an abomination by way of saying, oh, um, you have laid down with a woman, with a man, as you would have done a woman. And even though, like, the Bible sort of, like, makes it quite open to both penetrated and penetrator, anti-queer rhetoric in the Caribbean, from my experience, just was not like that at all. It was, like, shaming the penetrate's head. You know, I'd say like, look at a woman. Look how beautiful she is. How you not gonna penetrate her? Why would you penetrate a man instead? I'm disgusted. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So you were pulling that from Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13, and and from the King James Version, the good old English. Uh, If a man also lie with mankind as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death, their blood shall be upon them, right? And it, it's, it's funny because the same portion of scripture appears twice in the same book, right? Yeah. The one that, you know, you were sort of like pulling from includes the punishment for sexual immorality. Yeah. And the one that appears uh, earlier in chapter 18, verse 22, reads that thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is... Uh, abomination. I think I, you said Leviticus eighteen twenty two twice. No, the first one is Le- Leviticus twenty verse thirteen. Don't you know that song? No, I don't know that song. There was a time when people when- were accusing Vibes Cartel of being gay, and uh, he was like, he responded in that song. It was like Leviticus twenty verse thirteen. Jamaica me na go fuck no man. Oh the na 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 na. How the fuck the baby born? Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, but, but yeah, but you said Leviticus. That, that's how I always remember Leviticus twenty verse thirteen because it was yeah. in a Vibes Cartel song. How we had to prove how not gay he was. And then on top of that, he also did a press release, sir. Uh, and I remember I saved the article for months mm. um, saying, and his argument as to why he wasn't gay was because like he's quote unquote copulated with, um, wow, that was ghetto. Mm. And all you. That was ghetto. Uh, how he's copulated with the, his accuser's mothers. Um, and therefore he would not, like that's how he's not, uh, gay by virtue of having sex with the people who's accused him of being gay's mothers. How conceptual to <laughs> respond, conceptual and very Jamaican to one respond with scripture and then two two respond with not the equivalent of gusaki mother but like <laughs> the I violation mother ins- <laughs> like, the insult of the matriarchy again basically. <laughs> oh my god! But. To cut, you you should continue with yes uh, right I mean like <laughs> yes the Bible <laughs> places emphasis on not being with the gay shit I get it um but what I think is interesting is that it doesn't necessarily talk about women this is like mm. every every good like lesbian joke responding to this was like, well, I'm not lying with mankind because I'm a woman. Uh, But like, what about women, right? This text would never and uh, has never uh, 
been put in the woman-to-woman context, right? When thinking about how Jamaicans deal with lesbians, it always goes back to uh, the ways in which, like, men want to engage in corrective activities corrective activities mm. Um, mm. and then puts it back on the person doing the penetrating and then erases the experiences of women who are lying with women, right? Right. Because biblically they wouldn't have power, why would the pastor reference people who have no like who who have no power, right? That's sort of like like what sti- like if you, like the Bible and the and sort of like the surface level uh, reading and interpretation requires modern day sort of like l- it requires a modern day lens, right? Uh, biblical scholars would refer to it as like sort of like the world in front of the Bible and the world of the Bible, the woman had no power. Mm. And the world behind the Bible, the woman also had no power because remember, the Bible's still a text, right? So like, there was like history behind how the Bible was written, the story of the Bible itself, and then the Bible that we have now, mm-hmm. right? So there was no power in the beginning, there was no power then, and then pastors continue to perpetuate that there is no power that women hold, right? So it's like, interesting that, like, when you bring up the fact that passes would really go well like look at how beautiful the woman is it still harps on this fact that women are meant to be conquered right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so if a woman has no power to be able to you know uh take power over the penetrating act itself then like she doesn't have space in in at least like the jamaican uh christian uh political, social, and, like, religious lens. Yeah, and I also, to add on to that, I also think that, like, um, when you when you talk about conquest and power, one thing that comes up for me as well is sort of, like, the tone in which it, these, these anti-queer rhetoric is often, it's just like, like, how could you not be as man enough? It's, it's mm-hmm. also, like, this measurement of, like, you need to be man enough to be, to, to engage in this conquest and engage in this form of, like, um, well, engaging in this con- in conquest and, like, your inability to do so by your desire or whatever to engage in sexual activities with the same gender mm-hmm. is sort of like a betrayal to what the constructions of manhood and masculinity have been both in like the Jamaican context and like for 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 Jamaican men but Jamaican men through the religious Christian lens. Mm. Does that make sense? It does. Of course it, it does. Re- wow. <laughs> Someone is feeling themselves. <laughs> um, Literally. But just going back to sort of, like, end my, like, little argument there, I feel that the Spanish-speaking Caribbean highlights this so well, where to be penetrated is to be woman, and to be woman is to be powerless. Mm. Right? Mm-mm. Right? It's like, saying that, like, again, right? The Spanish-speaking Caribbean highlights the fact that to be penetrated is to be woman, mm-hmm. and to be woman is to be powerless. Right. The same way that the Anglophone Caribbean will do, like, in Jamaica, to be penetrated mm-hmm. is to be woman, and if the Bible is telling you that you can only penetrate women, mm-hmm. then the absence of that is the abomination. And, and, and interestingly enough, in verse 23 of the same chapter of Leviticus, it continues to basically give us the base for all the buggery laws, right? Right. Which is uh, that, an anal sex with another man, a woman, a goat, a chicken, a cow, you know, 
all the beasts of the land type shit. <laughs> and this is just a reminder that, like, if we go back to why we have buggery laws in the Caribbean, like, why we haven't had, but still have, when we hold on to it, it starts with colonization. Why? Because the, 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 the colonizing powers were relying heavily on scripture and looked at this essentially to go, this is, this, like, th go to Leviticus. Go to chapter 18. Chapter 18. Breeze past 22, because I read it for you, and look at 23 and tell me if that is not just the clause for the Burberry Laws. <laughs> tell me, tell me if it isn't. Because it's right there. It's literally right there. Just dust off that old Bible. Do, dust off, dust off your Bible. Because y'all know y'all haven't touched it in a minute. In a long time, girl. Y'all should be ashamed. You sh uh, you should I'm going to tell y'all grandmoms. How many Bibles I have and how much of them are collecting dust. How many Bibles do you have, Robert Wesley Anthony Taylor Jr.? Buku. Because it's like the King James Version, uh -huh. and then there's the New American Version, then there's the <laughs> English Standard Version, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's the Catholic Bible, because they have a few more books in there. And then I also have, you know the small little ones that they have, just like the Old Testament, and yes. then... <laughs> Yes. Yeah. No. Uh, I know the Old Testament. The, the, the New Testament and then Proverbs and Psalms. May I have three of them. And then may have one. You're this so one. Caribbean. Listen, you, you, so you can Car never have enough Bibles. And I'm telling you, I'm going to I'm gonna stop talking about my Bible story. But I used to be, I was out here carrying around my little white one with the New Testament and Proverbs and Psalms. And may read out Psalms. And may read out Proverbs and... Mm, Mm -hmm. Proverbs. But we're moving on. <laughs> we're moving on. Um, all of this to say, like, the idea of, like, invisibility and hypervisibility um, spans across so many different ways, both in, like, one's presence and in the language itself and how different they can be. But I think what's very interesting, moving from the the film of Gods and Men, um, it's, it's a common theme that I saw both in Malamala and... Uh, the Gully Queen Vice one is basically sex work. Mm-hmm. And we love a good sex work. This feels like so much. Like, let's start with the Gully Queens. Yeah. Right? And I think that this applies to both documentaries, but we really have to stop and ask ourselves, what kind of world allows for the Gully Queen, right? What are the set of circumstances that make it so that large populations of queer youth in Jamaica can find themselves without a home? <laughs> um, I would refer my answer to episode two of this podcast, The Five Ways of Cultural Preservation of Homophobia. Wow. <laughs> We're look, coming back to look it. Look at that. Citing ourselves. You know... Wow. Sidebar, because this is reminding me of a thing that I did in undergrad, but um, <laughs> I remember I cited myself in a paper that I wrote earlier in the semester. I'm like, I said that before, and I'm going to say it again, oh and my I gosh. cited myself, because... Does that not count as plagiarism? It does count, actually. It does, exactly. You are supposed to... And I wasn't... I, I was not here for play-play. <laughs> But, yes, go back to episode two and then go through that part again. Thank you. But you're right. And I also think that we can look to my new best friend. I mean, we, we've always been friends. I think her and I, you know. Oh, it's her. Yeah. All right. Shocking. We're joined together in spirit. Um, but my new best friend, Brene Brown, 
I think she has the answer yeah. to this. And in typical Brene Brown fashion, it's shame. shame. <laughs> right? Shame is at the helm for why homelessness for queer youth in Jamaica, in the Caribbean, hell everywhere, actually, is possible. And I'd also say that shame manifests in violent ways as well. Right? It's that same source of shame around deviance that leads to this and all forms of parental abandonment in the Caribbean, right? Mm. And deviants can look like being gay, being whorish, mm. being a sketal, mm. right? Aren't they all the same thing? Hush. <laughs> Hush. Anything that enters your name into the mouths of someone, of church-going folks, and can bring shame onto the name of your family is a cause for you to get cussed and to be forced to leave. And I truly believe that in the absence of blood-relational families, kinship begins to stand in the gap uh, for those interwoven networks of people that make life possible. Um, and human connection is what makes life possible. And, like, just to make sure that, like, people understand, so, like, like, the jumps that I made in that argument there is that I bought up deviance, right, because... I think Caribbean parents oftentimes see uh, being gay or, you know, not combing your hair properly mm. or, you know, like your pants being too tight or your nails being too long or your hair being colored. Like, all of that is like a form of deviance. Anything that is like not the standard cookie cutter, this is what I want my child to look like, mm -hmm. especially in Jamaican, uh, in, uh, Jamaican society, is deviance, right? Right. And because of that, the deviance then means that people are going to chat you. Mm -hmm. Right? Gossip is a function of surveillance in the Caribbean, right? Mm -hmm. Like, 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 that's how we get our news. Right. Through gossip, on the veranda. Yep. Right? In church, on mm -hmm. the way to, you know? So, deviance means that people are going to talk about you, and talking about you means that your mother's going to be pissed as hell. Yeah. Because she don't want to hear nothing else than, Kadim is so bright, and you should see how the picture when I'm draw a school was so, you know, you know, like, yeah. to, like, that level of just, like, amazing, beautiful, smart, bright, you know, not too bold-faced Pitney, right? Yeah. And from that space, if you transgress that, they have to come home and confront you because apparently Jimmy has another way of dealing with their emotions or, I don't know, people talking about their families in public. <gasps> and then they kick you out. Right. Right? And, like, like that is the sort of circumstance that I want to trace for. So it, it starts with that shame. Mm -hmm. And that's how, like, I see, like, one way of, like, shame manifesting, viol like, violently. Yeah. Right? That, like, you would take on to yourself even though it's not for you to have in the first place, but whatever, you would take on to yourself uh, an issue with image and then use that issue with image to then project that and to move someone out of uh, the, uh, the home space. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we see that a lot with queer youth yeah. um, in the Caribbean. Right, and then you're also saying that you also believe that in the absence of blood relation relational families, kinship stands in the gap and for the interwoven network of people that makes life possible. And I think that sort of speaks to like the human connection and sort of what happens once the shame has manifested in the violent ways in which it has done so and <clears throat> leads essentially to homelessness slash hostlessness. Because it's mm -hmm. like, in the absence of these blood relational families, no, 
you've developed um kinship outside of those by way of me by way of going to um different spaces that house you that protects you and that safeguards you and it's very interesting that in this film that physical space was the gully yeah 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 and i mean <laughs> the gully the gully what is the gully Big Q. Big Q. I think there are a lot of people who, every time, sort of like, hear the gully, you Google it and it says sewer. But I think when they hear sewer, the sewer then also, like, translates almost immediately to, like, basically some, like, Ninja Turtle-ass shit. Where you're like, oh, it's, like, dirty and it stinks. And, you know, like, you have to, like, remove, like, a, a pothole to get down there or, like, whatever. And, like, that is not the case yeah. in Jamaica. Like, the, 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 the gully is is an open r- r- ravine, I saw it called. Must be so. Something. Ravine. It's, o- it's an open dip. Yeah. Of cement. Uh, where water can flow through and garbage does often collect. Yeah. Um, but it shouldn't conjure the same images of, of uh, sort of like American sewer and like pothole pieces. Yeah. Um, and that's not to say that, that the gully is a good place to be either, mm-hmm. but it is a gathering place for queer and trans youth in the Caribbean to... To begin forming those bonds of kinship. Yeah. Right? And I think when we think about shame and, and we think about violence, it gets even more complicated to talk about it because when we enter the realm of desire and Ugh. the psyche and all of the fucked up shit that society socializes us to be ashamed about, when that comes into play... It gets real complicated, mm-hmm. right? And I'm talking about sex, and I'm talking about sex and survival, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, because mm-hmm. like we're talking about sex work, right? Yeah, and we're talking about queer and trans youth who do not have homes in the Caribbean. Sex work is a way of survival, right? Um, and oh boy, sex work, right? <laughs> I'm gonna go have to go off on this one, and and for 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 all of the conservative Caribbean people listening, oh, well. I I got just you. Stop. I'm good. I'm just gonna no. I'm pulling you in, because um, I also think it also speaks to this shaming thing where we shame sex workers and we shame people for engaging in sex, both as it relates to survival, but as it also relates to just genuine choice, mm-hmm. um, which actually is quite a bit of people yeah. like people really think that people are here are only only engaging in sex work just because uh, uh they're poor they're whatever whatever like no we're we're, we're all here mm. you know this is interesting too because i'm i'm thinking specifically about how straight jamaican men seek gully queens and trans women for sex at night right yeah. why at night why in secret Mm. What does gender presentation have to say about all of this on the part of the gully queens? Um, and why is it that a trans woman or a gully queen, and note that I'm making a distinction there between a trans woman and a gully queen, because not um, all gully queens are trans women. Mm-hmm. Uh, did we define what a gully queen was? We didn't. Oh. 
but I'm not the American argument yet. Um, why is it that a trans woman or a gully queen could also be met with such violence that comes from a deeply rooted shame in the male psyche after having sex with trans women? Right. <laughs> I mean, this is this is a question I've been asking um, right now because I think this question sort of like also talks about a lot of the violence that uh, uh, trans women and non-binary femmes have basically experienced here in New York City. And it's... <sighs> Deep sigh. Quoting organizations that have continuously educated me, um, Translash, JSTOR, <laughs> trans, trans writers... Uh, um, there's, for, for a lot of these men, there is genuinely an inability to cope with their attraction mm, because mm-hmm. like their idea of straight only makes space for cisgender women and doesn't make space for trans women and non-binary femmes. And it's like when they realize that their straightness literally encompasses every woman, every non, every uh, non-binary femmes, um, trans women, cis women, there's an inability to cope with that and then it comes into conflict with their perceptions of uh, um, what straightness is and what maleness is and what masculinity is and what manhood is and what attraction is and what psych- the, psych- the d- desire is and uh, all of that leads to shame. Does it? Violence. Mm. That at night venture off into sex work. Yeah. I mean, when we first started talking about this, I reluctantly had to go, damn it, I think I have to return to Freud. <laughs> I have to return to Freud and I have to return to Foucault because I think that there is a there is a depth to the conversation on desire and sexuality that we're not yet like, we're tapping on the door, but we haven't really opened it as yet. Um, because when we talk about, like, that connection between uh, shame manifesting in, in violent forms, uh, that is sort of just, like, spot on. And I would also say that your commentary about Jamaican society is, is spot on. The ways in which Jamaica has weaponized... Uh, sort of like the shame against the queer and trans community is so clear and it's evident and that there are social and legal structures that make it possible for queerness to be pushed, quote-unquote, underground, right? And I'm not saying that queerness is pushed underground at all, but when I say pushed underground, I think what I'm trying to say is sort of a, a suppression of queerness from the public space, yeah. right? And because of that... Uh, that suppression or that attempt to push or to squash it also goes with desire for or alignment with queerness. And with that goes queer love and queer sex, right? And this is where we get into the hashtag things done in the dark. <laughs> and this is where we sort of like see straight... Straight. straight. <laughs> Jamaican men seeking out gully queens and trans women at night. Right? right, and I feel like we haven't really just like touched on it. Mm-hmm. Like we mentioned it, but like how we like explored what goes on there. One, I think it's just like out of confusion, truly. Uh, <laughs> but like, 
I'm just confused. I'm, 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 I'm confused not because I don't get it, but I'm confused because men continue to baffle me in ways that I will not understand. I don't understand the way that a man can seek out a gully queen and then also enact violence on them after having sex with them. I don't understand the lack of response from police. Um, Mm. I don't understand why conversations around this are not sort of like bolstered a lot more in Caribbean communities but I also know why and it's because there are a lot of things that Caribbean communities are just not ready to face head on but I mean if we look at uh alright I'm not going there yet no it's okay it's almost feels like this conversation, as much as it's geared towards Jamaica, highlights the plight of black trans women in the United States that are being targeted by the same men who get triggered by the shame hidden deep within that psychosexual recesses of their brain. Yeah. Oh, child. Um, but, <sighs> yes, men, 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 men got everybody fucked up, right? Clearly. And I think, <laughs> and, but I think on top of that, there's also what does not make it better is the state sanctioned violence. So like you're mentioning the lack of police. There's also literally just there's lack of there's lack of response from policing from from police overall, which like adds to the violence. But then it's also how police by way of like different laws that are enacted that criminalizes people's survival tactics. Um leads to police being there even more Mm. and like enacting violence so it's like their lack of response from police is violence and police presence is violence and i say this as somebody who's like also a very very much of an advocate for please remove policing from half of the shit that we have policing doing um because it is violence by way of their presence and you're talking about the united states not jamaica Yes. Yeah. However, I'm pretty sure a lot of the things that I I I, I will probably argue would definitely apply mm-hmm. um, to Jamaica and the Caribbean at large. So so when 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 we talk about um, lack of police response and police presence, we talk about like the criminalization of sex work and the ways in which uh, sex work has been criminalized throughout centuries and the effects of its criminalization. And I'm gonna give like a little short. Snippet on all of this, right? So, like, the world deals with sex workers in four different manners, right? There is like the full criminalization, the Nordic model, uh, uh, which is like partial decriminalization. There's legalization, and then there's full decriminalization, right? Um, and we we live in a world where the majority of jurisdictions around the world, criminal, including Jamaica, um, and a lot of countries in the Caribbean, criminalizes sex work, right? Um, and the idea behind the Nordic model is that you can end the desire for paying for sex. So, therefore, you criminalize the person who buys the sex and not the person who sells it. Pause. You can end the desire. <laughs> when the Nordic model was being designed or, like, 
recovered. It worked off the principle that you can end the desire of you can end people's desire to pay for sex. That is why the buyer is always criminalized under the Nordic model, but not the seller. And it also speaks to the conflation of sex work and sex trafficking because it's it assumes that anybody who pays for sex is an exploiter, mm, mm-hmm. right? Um, and there there are like several things about that and several things problematic with it. And like while one can understand the principle it the, the conflation of sex work and sex traffic and survivors of sex trafficking literally harms both parties yeah um and to get back to sort of like how survival sex work is literally criminalized um and always criminalization leads to um sort of like pushing it underground even more by way of criminalizing sex workers um, it leads to like underground negotiations, right? So it's just like if somebody is being criminalized by the way in which that they survive, that's not harming anybody, by the way. Um, quite the opposite, actually. <laughs> um, by way of doing that, like when when a car is passing and you are an outdoor street uh, out, outdoor sex worker, you have legitimately little time to negotiate the terms under which you are going to engage in sex work. So the buyer is going to say, oh, well, I want condomless sex or I want it to be this amount or I want it to be that amount. And because you are surviving, mm-hmm. right, you have literally very little choice but to say, all right, I, I have to go in this car with this person and I have to do what they say in order to for me to survive and do what I have to do. Yeah. And it speaks to how criminalization literally harms folks, uh, harms sex, harms the sex work, the sex work community um, by way of criminalization, right? And then you'd think that the Nordic model helps out, but it actually does worse or similar shit where it's like, oh, because I know I'm the buyer and I'm being criminalized, that gives me more power in negotiating what I want for sex. Ah, okay. Right? I see... You see where I'm going? I see where it's going. Mm. I don't doubt that that is how it happens. <laughs> but what a way <laughs> to... Jesus, God. I mean, <laughs> I continue to be bad. Like, power <laughs> and privilege. Mm. And the way that the two of them just sort of, like, dance and flirt with each other <laughs> in ways and, the, and like, sit together and do, like, some bad bitch planning Girl. continues to baffle me. Girl. Because, wow. I'm I telling mean, you. And then, and I mean, just speaking sort of, like, in the queer Caribbean diaspora, um, just, like, a hot second, like, we know that in New- the queer Caribbean diaspora in New York City, currently there are several advocates who are pushing for decriminalizing sex work. Not legalization, right? Because, like, a lot of evidence also shows that, like, legalization is essentially criminalization, right? So Mm -hmm. legalization is regulating sex work. It's regulating how and the when and the where. So it's like, you need to do it in a brothel. You need to make sure that you're getting checked up every 30 days. You need to make sure that, like, you have a license. You Mm -hmm. need to make sure that you have, like, this. You need to make sure that you're part of the Mm -hmm. database. And these are, like, the different models in which legalization has been in countries such as Amsterdam or um, uh, some other one. I don't remember. Um, But it's interesting because, like, 
if one does not do that, they are then for still they are therefore still criminalized, right. and still leads to what happens when you don't have a license. What happens when you don't want to be in a brothel, right? Yeah, and like these regulations legitimately harm sex workers as well. Right. I mean, you think about the black and brown youth who are are homeless and mm-hmm. don't have access to health insurance or don't have a job, like or just face open discrimination by right. and, and like. By virtue of just, like, their existence... Exactly. The legalization, like, aspects of those make it impossible for them to survive. So you remove survival work. Exactly. And the ability to engage in that. By way of legalizing it. Again. (laughs) The ways in which power and privilege continue Mm -hmm. to... uh, <laughs> so it's it's clear like the laws by way of their the way the way of them being there literally got everybody fucked up, yeah. harmed everybody. And a report citing a report from the University of Toronto that was published I think earlier this year that sort that w- it was the first time there was any form of documentation on Jamaican sex workers mm. and found that like they're way more likely to. Um, contract HIV not because of the frequency in which sex is happening or whatever is going on but legitimately um, criminalizing it leads to so much shit right and I, I, I'm, I'm adding my own shit also while, while citing that that um that study but i think what that speaks to is then what is it how do you respond to um current trans youth their lack of access to health and education and all these different things that leads to survival sex work and like what are the ways in which one can do that right the solution decriminalization got it remove the penalties right don't arrest nobody that while also ensuring mm. that people have the services and access to mental health and from free from discrimination mental health all the health every single one of them and right i um, mean if we can sort of like focus in on the negotiation mm-hmm. piece yeah and maybe see if we can like bring in uh as we wrap up mala mala yes also into that i think that there are several moments throughout the film yeah documentary um i don't there's a I, distinction girl it, yeah because i'm pretty sure all the people are gonna come from like actually the <laughs> difference between i i, I don't care i will call it <laughs> who want me to call it i apologize if i've offended anyone in, in misclassifying uh, <laughs> your your body of work but th- I, I didn't call it a movie okay <gasps> triggered <laughs> right in Mala Mala, there are a few scenes where negotiation, to yeah. an extent, is not possible. Moments where negotiation does happen, but like, to your point, negotiation doesn't happen if you're standing on the street mm-hmm. and are inter- uh, interfacing with someone who's in a car, right? Like. Mm-hmm. You don't have much time because, like, everyone's sort of, like, on edge. And the thing that you need to do to be able to to provide for yourself mm-hmm. um, and, the, and the things that the person who is going to be paying for sex needs to, you know, sort of, like, do in that moment to sort of, like, lock in the deal isn't, like, in, isn't like a heightened state. Yeah. Right? And that's just, like, a negotiation. Uh, either the sort of, like, 
stereotypical street corner negotiation mm-hmm. or like the, the car side negotiation and then there's the you're coming to me uh, yeah. we're, we're able to talk about a, a little bit more kind of negotiation that happens and as like websites uh, especially in the United States sort of like begin to decrease mm-hmm. uh, Oh. Places in which, like, the, like the negotiation can happen, yeah. reduce. And safety is therefore reduced. And safety is therefore reduced, but then also, all of y'all flock to grinder. Oh! 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 Oh, no! <laughs> You're going there! Don't give them the secret. I, I, but it's true, though. I yeah. mean... The, I mean, since the passage, I, I I need somebody to be doing this research. Since the passage of the federal laws that said stop violence against sex trafficking actor or something like that, SESTA FASTA, that that like removed every single online um, way in which one can purchase sex, uh, such as Backpage and um, uh, Craigslist. What do what do I want the name Craigslist? Yeah, the, the little party the Craigslist encounters piece of yeah. Craigslist. They have a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Since then, how how has the influx of grinder uh, of sex workers on grinder changed? Because I mean, it is really out here. It jump up so too. Yeah, and I mean out here with the roses and the crowns and the diamonds oh, and don't give away all the secrets. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> don't expose. But like. The shifting context in where negotiations happen, yeah. right, are important to look at, right, to sort of expand not only sort of like the legal understanding of um, of the different models and approaches to sex, which I think like you just like really highlighted beautifully, because I think in that moment it, it was sort of like confronting how many people might often want to engage or approach the sex work conversation is like. If you think you're being supportive, yeah, and you're like, oh, we'll just like legalize it. Are you being supportive, right? Yeah. And then, like, is the legalization prospect useful? All right, and and I I would hope that this conversation has highlighted for many people who are listening that like legalization is not necessarily the way that we need to be going. Yeah. With this, but then also having a breadth of understanding to which how we can approach the conversation on sex work and sort of like why that survival work aspect of sex work is also necessary for the people who we see in the documentary. Yeah. I want to highlight the services aspect that she brought up, right? Yeah. So there's one trans woman in particular uh, in Malamala who talks about... well. She doesn't talk about, but she provides safer sex materials for yeah. uh, other trans folks who are doing sex work in Puerto Rico. Yeah. Um, and I want to sort of like jump a little bit around in the film uh, because she's providing these services for uh, for trans women and, and and sex workers in Puerto Rico, and is also doing work. Uh, to advance the non-discriminatory policy right, in Puerto Rico. Right, She's doing both the structural and individualized right. thing. I didn't read up on it too much in, in, in terms of like what the non-discriminatory policy uh, did. Mm, but insert place. blanket non-discriminatory policy. <laughs> I'm going to tell you right now, they're all not useful. <laughs> and like, non-discrimination, like... It's not useful, and we can talk about this why, but Dean Spade uh, talks about this a lot in yeah. his work. Um, the, the, the title is uh, 
Come on, girl, you got this. It's escaping me. Come um, on, girl. But it Catch mentions it. administrative violence. New life. No, <laughs> no. I think it's called New Life by Dean Spade. But yeah. Dean Spade is is, is a is a trans legal scholar. Anyway. He highlights why non-discriminatory policy isn't necessarily effective. Yeah. Uh, but going back to the, the non-discriminatory legislation that we learn about in Malamala, uh, I don't think the services piece was ever a part of the non-discriminatory policy that I think, and by I think I mean, I know was focused around access to jobs and access to housing, especially for queer and trans people in Puerto yeah. Rico. Like, that's where that was. Maybe it, like, extends itself to services, but in terms of, like, direct impact and outreach, I don't think it does. No, there wasn't. I, I, if I remember correctly, it was mostly, it was primarily centered around being not discriminated in the workplace for hires and yeah. whatever. So it's, it's more so on, like, the topic of, like, access to employment mm-hmm. um, and jobs. But, like, just through, like, saying, like, oh, it's illegal for you to do this and do that, do that. Um, I, uh, we... <laughs> What I will say, just a quick response to that, is that, like, I think it's, though, the, I agree that they're quite not effective. And, and I mean, we can just sort of use the statistics around how many hate crimes are persecuted in this country, particularly in New York City. It's very low. It's little. It's very low. Yeah. But also, in comparison to, like, dis- distinguishing hate crimes versus hate violence is also a very important distinction mm-hmm. to make. But the laws, for me, serves as an awareness campaign. Mm-hmm. It's it's to let folks know. All right, we're all here. Yeah. I like for me the laws have have served its purpose as like a hey by the way we exist. Yeah. Not like a hey by the way, this violence if you enact this violence upon us we will take uh, the necessary legal action. It's more so about like oh okay there's a public awareness campaign and I think that speaks to like the ineffectiveness and the principle behind the ineffectiveness behind the laws itself. Yeah. Um, but also. Unintended, unintended effects of that law and what it does. Um, <sighs> Kadeem, stick a pin. I am about to stick the rock. Stick pin. the damn pin. I am sticking the pin because though we've talked about queer navigation and uh, sex work and we make it seem like so the queer and trans community in the Caribbean, actually we didn't really. Uh, Asofa and I did this. They're actually like they're, we actually see now. Um, that there's so much resilience and there's so much like legitimate thriving, thriving nations, thrivisions, all of that stuff in the Caribbean by, by like through social media, we're able to see that. And I mean, in episode three, I talk about how like, I'm not able to, I wasn't able to like see any form of resilience until I moved here. It's also that like, through since coming here I now had that access to that resilience right and with that said this episode as we invoked sort of like the essence and existence of um Blondie and the Gully Queens and trans folks in in Jamaica and Puerto Rico um this is also a call to action right this is We've educated you on some of the things that uh, that has been happening, but here are two things that you can actually do, right? One, follow the Instagram accounts of these folks in the respective countries to where you found interest, but also 
to be honest, I think if you just follow all of them, right? Um, so, Transwave JA and JFLAG, these are all, like, the Jamaican organizations that have been doing such great work um, for, like, queer and trans youth, right? Um, and we'll give, we'll give y'all some more, of course. But um, there's also money. Yeah. Money. I mean, when was the last time you donated? I'm calling you out. Right. Um, when was the last time you did a little something, something that goes towards the queer Caribbean community? It's okay. Don't feel guilty. Listen to me, baby. Listen, come here. Send it to us. I will send it to them. Yeah. <laughs> and and on a serious level, like if you if you think that you have the capacity to Venmo, to cash up, to check, to EBT, to all these different things, like let us know right and we will legitimately direct all these proceeds to the caribbean uh to caribbean to the caribbean to caribbean based organizations that are advocating for the queer and trans community because honestly yeah i mean let's just like concretize that for yeah. them too when we met uh in april april LOL. April? Yeah, April. April or March. When we met in April. Happy almost six month. Happy six month anniversary, baby. No? No. I'm just adjusting my microphone because it did a fall. (laughs) Um, That was like a whole six inch deflation. Anyway, sorry. Uh, (laughs) Shut up. (laughs) When we met in April, March, February. Girl. Yes. January. Uh, we wrote down a thing that, like, Caribbean.com mm-hmm. as an organization what was, like, committing itself to, right? Yeah. And when we wrote that Caribbean is a transnational collective for the production, consumption, and patronage of queer and trans Caribbean life. You remember that, but you don't remember the bio for Stushan Bush, the queer, with a queer twist part? You got me fucked up. I'm sorry. It's my <laughs> job, right? Like, when we wrote that vision, we meant it, right? Yeah. And I think that we've been real heavy on the production. Yeah. I mean, this podcast is <laughs> heavy production. Real heavy on the consumption, yeah. because we're looking to queer and trans Caribbean people, both in terms of uh, scholarship, lived experience, art, music, love, all of that, and, and like and language. Yeah. Uh, for this, but like we haven't gotten to the patronage piece, mm-hmm. um, and when we were sitting down to write um, and to sign our MOU, we made a commitment to ourselves and to the organization that at the end of each fiscal year for us, there would be a moment where we would say, okay, here's the money that we have uh, from all the things that we did over the year and we didn't have no money, but it's okay. Um, (laughs) And that we would select uh, an organization In the Caribbean, mm-hmm. that focus on queer and trans uh, life, language, culture, the pursuit of happiness, all that girl. Every single one of them did. And we would donate to them at the end of the fiscal year. Yeah. So, like, Kadeem's call is not just about, like, you know, you can and should feel good because, you know, we, like, pulled on lived experiences for people who are not our own. Like, yes, that, but also... It like it is about a commitment, yeah. and I hope that we're able to sort of like show for you all that it's not just about us coming into the studio every other week to sort of like record this thing and to go like mm, it's great, but like there is a larger mission, yeah, right. And the mission does have this piece, and we want to really be able to tap into the piece. So mm-hmm. the Venmo, 
is Caribbean. The Cash App is Caribbean. Oh, you can swipe that motherfucking EBT card. <laughs> okay. You, you can write the check and mail it. You can send the cash around pigeon and send it come gimme. Mm-hmm. You can do the Western Union and send it come gimme. Mm-hmm. You can send me around barrel. You can reach out to us on Instagram. On Instagram. And on us. Twitter. On Facebook. Mm-hmm. On what's your name? Uh, with a FaceApp. With a yes. Uh, what next one? You want FaceTime with High five. And we're on Medium. <laughs> and we're on okay. WordPress. Okay, you're and we're on Squarespace. Oh, oh, yeah, that's true. We are on Squarespace. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Five lies and one truth. <laughs> <laughs> but um, follow us and get in touch with us and find out how you can be involved. There are so many different ways. Follow us on Stush and Bush. No D. No D. On Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. <laughs> you can find this Bush gal... At Kadiem, that is K-H-A-D-I-E-M-E on Instagram and Twitter. And if you're ever looking for a home-cooked meal or a nice little baker boy. Wow. (laughs) You can follow Robert at the underscore Bishop 1221 or on Twitter as queer granny queer rib granny yeah queer granny I'm a I queer know. granny queer <laughs> granny that is q-u-e-e-r-i-b-g-r-a-n-n-i-e and you can also submit your questions to us through our Instagram or email us at Stushenbush Podcast. no D no D never, never a D. D listen we love if y'all. you have not liked subscribed mm. get the notification them mm-hmm. ping it mm-hmm. put it in your calendar mm-hmm. share it on facebook share mm. it on twitter share it on instagram all them things there yeah you're homophobic oh okay yeah i called you out call him if you don't go on apple podcast right now and if you don't give us five eleven stars okay i'm gonna find you truthfully at least truthfully because you know this is five star content. Okay? <laughs> okay? Five star content. You're, you're hyping yourself. I'm hyping idea. myself the fuck up. You are You need yourself. to like us right now. I'm pleading. Okay? All if right. you don't like us, people can't see us. Alright. I'm not coming here next week if I don't get my like. <laughs>